Hello and welcome to Learning From Legends with me, Peter Switzer. And this week's legend is now retired boxing great Anthony Mundine. It's not an exaggeration to argue Anthony was a controversial character in the media, but on the sporting field he was an absolute legend. BBC sports commentator Steve Bunt said Mundine was probably the greatest ever crossover athlete to come into boxing. And as a rugby league player, he was without doubt a world-class performer. So how did Anthony beat the challenges most young kids face, let alone those from an Indigenous background? And what's his business plan going forward, leveraging off his website, mundinemindset.com, as he sets his sights on empowering students and workplaces with the drivers that took him to the top in both rugby league and boxing? And then we meet Chris Patterson, the managing partner of executive leadership business, SMG, on the art of leadership, and he reveals how he helps CEOs and business owners become legendary leaders inside their own operations. That's the show. So let's kick off uh, for someone now who has always been able to take a high ball, boxing great Anthony Mundine. So Anthony, thanks for joining us on the program. You retired from boxing. So what's your plan going forward? Uh, plan, I'm just trying to enjoy life for a little bit, enjoy my family. I've got some some plans that um obviously I want to give back and give opportunities to my people, indigenous people. Have a um, a company MGM. It's a Aboriginal Indigenous company that we have the first uh, roadside barriers, um, you know, you know, for the roadside barriers with the indigenous, um, you know, like the snake on it, and it's just a presence of our people. You know, basically, right. uh, we've got the hoardings with the with indigenous art and stuff, and we implement whatever areas we, we we're going to. We implement that um the local artists and the 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 um, totems of that area. Mm. Um and and I got a bit of a, I got a I got a mindset of a champ. So um, if you go MondayMindset.com, it's a it's a it's a workshop for corporates. It's a workshop for 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 communities, and and um, you know schools and whatnot, universities. Just by telling my story and my mindset and how I got through certain things, being Aboriginal and this living in this society, and excelling and and being successful. Yeah, uh, we're gonna we're gonna lead uh, this interview with that uh, that. Uh, promo you've created so people will get an idea of mundinemindset.com before we even start because that's what I wanted to talk to you about. Um, I know you've been a big fan of Muhammad Ali and so am I. I always loved it when he said it's the repetition of affirmations that leads to self-belief and once that belief becomes a deep conviction things begin to happen. When did you think you got that sort of self-belief that you believe that you could do stuff that most young kids and most young Aboriginal kids don't ever get to do? I knew it at a young age, like seven, six, seven, eight years old. I knew I was destined for, for high things. I was going to say greatness, but I don't want to put great because, I want, you know, Allah's the greatest. For me, I'm a Muslim and God's the greatest. But, you know, I knew I was going to go on to an unbelievable 
uh, successful sporting career in life. I knew I was going to be, I was, you know, I knew I was going to make it in football, and I knew I was going to make it in boxing. What What do you think was the the most important influence in your life when you were young to make you believe in that? Because Anthony, you know, a lot of young people that would be mates of yours at school, uh, people you've met over over time. They all had fantastic potential. Guys you played football with and they went off the boil and things went wrong. What- mate, a lot of my cousins, some close friends, but mainly my cousins, they they had just as much ability as me in all these sports we were playing. Mainly growing up, I played rugby league, basketball, and we dabbled, dabbled in boxing, not very much, not, not much at boxing, but I knew I had it in my bloodlines. Um, and I knew that, you know, I was good at it. I just felt that yeah, I had the confidence. Um, yeah, a lot of the brothers chose a different path and, you know, made the wrong choice and ended up um, not, not, not... Fulfilling the potential. You know, not, not succeeding in sport. Mm. Not, that, not saying they can't succeed in life, but the, the talent they had, they could have been, you know, could have went a lot, long way. Mm. So, so what do you think at the young ages of your six and seven that you actually did have that self-belief that you could be really good? Was it your uh, mum, your dad, your uh, mentors or well, what? It wasn't nobody. It was, it was, I don't know, God just installed that in me from a young mm. age, like embedded that in me. I feel like the creator, like embedded that belief within myself. You know, my dad was successful, you know, had a successful career and whatnot. Um, but he's a different man to me, like, you know what I mean? I was very outspoken, but he's very quiet, very country-like, boy-like. And, you know, I was against the establishment, against the system, because I saw the injustices and the, the oppression that my people faced. And I want to stand up for that. And, uh, yeah, that's what spurred me on. That's what motivated me to, to excel. Mm. But, Anthony... In a sense, what you decided to do and how you did it, and, and let's just let's just ignore the the, the the outspoken side of Anthony Mundine, which I always thought was a, a credit to you. I didn't always agree with you, mind you, but I still thought it's good to see a sportsman uh, say things on behalf of other people and and to have strong points of view. But the the, the question I want to know is, what what do you think helped you? avoid the trappings of most young people, whether it be Indigenous young people or even just normal young people, you know, the drugs, the smoking, the, the failure to have goals. What, apart from this innate belief at a young age, you still must have been tempted. How did you avoid the temptation to, to, to lose out and miss out on what you've actually been able to live through? I feel like, you know, obviously everyone gets to people trying to get people to peer pressure you or younger teens to peer pressure you to drink, to smoke, take drugs. Um, I, I went through that too. You know, but I just felt like I had a vision. I had a goal from a young age. Like I want to be successful. Mm-hmm. And I was embedded in my in, into my psyche that when I was young, my dad used to take me to the cross and we'd engage with the, the homeless people and the alcoholics and the drug addicts. And we'd, we'd actually converse with them and talk to them and they told me their problems and how they got there. And they told me how you know, never make this choice. Don't make don't don't get out, don't get out, go down this road. Um, make the right choices in life, you know. So that really played a big part in in my you know, in my decisions. Um, when I when I, when I wanted to, I knew I wanted to be a, a champion. 
you know, both in footy and boxing. And I knew this alcohol and drugs, they were poisoned. They're poisoned in society. You know what I mean? And I wasn't going to deal with that poison. And that's what they, that's what the system want our people to do. You know, they want to, you know, get us into a state or state where we, one, depend on them and two, um, you know, we drink our sorrows away or drink our problems away and mm. just take, that takes you to a darker place. I, I was very much in tune with myself um, in mindset. And then when I become a Muslim, alhamdulillah, I, you know, become, started to become spiritual. Yeah. So, Anthony, when you played football, did you come across any coaches that had a big effect on you in, in maybe showing you that there are better ways of doing things, better mindsets? Because, you know, you played in some good teams and you obviously had some good coaches. Did any of those coaches have an impact on you? Uh, yeah, I think, that, I think David Waite. My coaches were Brian Smith with the Dragons, David Waite with the Dragons, and uh, Wayne Bennett. And obviously, Wayne had a big part to play. Just Wayne was a top coach that, you know, because of the talent we had, we had a lot of um, superstars and we had a lot of egos within the team. Not egos, but everyone's got to have an ego to, to try and, you know, to, 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 to make some of themselves. So, mm-hmm. He just know, knew how to really um, manage that and really get into you, you know, your own personality and get, in, get in your, to your world. And so Wayne played a big part in that sense. Um, but I think David Waite, um, you know, was more like a, like, a, like a brother figure to me, you know. He really, I usually ask him for advice and, and things like that. And he, um, he, he, really, you know, because being a player, you're always sort of scared of coaches and this and that, but we had that type of relationship that I could open up to him about pretty much anything. Yeah. Do you think in many ways that's what the kind of role you want to play for you know, younger Indigenous Australians? You know, ultimately, you are a role model. Um, you've achieved enormous uh, success in sport, but obviously you can fulfil that kind of role. Oh, uh, definitely. As- Definitely, definitely. I think that the mindset of a champ, uh, mundanemindset.com, that's gonna really, uh, you know, give me give me the opportunity to to go out and work with these young brothers and sisters. Even if they don't have, they don't have to be black; they can be white too. You know what I mean? I've the most people, like a lot of the people, I, I moved like really moved and saved their pretty much saved their life. They were white guys, you know, mid mid-30s, mid-40s, you know what I mean? And I'm, I'm talking like save their life, like I'm about to take their life. And because of my, because of what I stood for and the man I am and the integrity that I have and, you know, they drew, they drew strength from that. Hmm. They drew strength and they turned their life around and they actually met me and told me their story. And that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there with tears in my eyes when this guy is telling me stories mm. and like, it's unbelievable, bro. Um, Anthony, um, when you think about, you know, where, you, where you're going to go with your, your journey, h- how important was it your decision to become a Muslim and, and why did you do it? Why and when did you do it? Well, um, 
I don't know when I was young, like 21, 22, maybe 23. Um, we, 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 you know, being colonized in this country, we were brought up on the Christianity faith. So I wanted to learn, I want to become a Christian. I want to, I want to get closer to God. I want to learn about the faith, but what do they, what do they believe? What's their core belief? Then I delved into Christianity and they, you know, they talk about the Trinity and, you know, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit and all that. And I delved in a bit deeper and, you know, I started to sort of study the historical Jesus, um, what he, what, so it, it wasn't as what they, the church was, the church was saying, Jesus wasn't, he was more to me, Jesus was like a prophet to me because he was, mm. he was asking God for help. He was, um, you know, he didn't know there was figs on the fig tree, you know what I mean? And things like that. So a lot of it didn't add up. Then had a mate of mine that was, that I was close with who ended up becoming my manager, Tony Nasser. He gave me that Malcolm X autobiography. I love Malcolm X because of what he stood for and, you know, with, with mm. the, you know, discrimination of the African-American and whatnot. And um, so I really had um, respect for him. I read his book. I read his book a couple of times. And that really got me interested in Islam. Then I started asking questions, asking questions about Islam. And then I learned the fundamentals, you know, about Islam, about the belief in the one God, um, believing them that Muhammad's the final Messiah. And, you know, obviously you believe in all the other prophets, Jesus, Noah, Abraham and all that. And um, as I delved in further and further, um, it had all the answers that I was looking for. You know what I mean? So, you know, and then I don't know, I think about, Two years in, two years in, I took my shihada and bear witness there's only one creator of mm. the heavens and the earth. And do you think because, you know, the Islamic religion is far more disciplined compared to, to Christianity, did that actually help you in a sense remain on the straight and narrow? Um, well, it's probably far more disciplined in modern Christianity, you know what I mean? Yeah. When the when when the when the Bible first came out and wasn't tampered with, yeah. you know, it was it was it was very disciplined as well. Yeah. With no drinking, you know, none of this stuff, no eating pork, no all this and that. Um but nah, I've I've always had that I've always had strong um belief within the alcohol and drugs. I never never took it even when I would be before I was Muslim and uh Hamdalah. But that just you know that's, that just goes to show that I was doing the right thing, even when I wasn't a Muslim, you know what I mean? Did, did you have an influence on Sonny Bill Williams in becoming uh, a Muslim? Uh, maybe, maybe a little bit. We, we are close. Um, it's definitely me and Coda played a role in that. Hmm. You know, and he's a devout, very devout Muslim, but devout brother right at the moment. Hmm. He become, you know, he's come very close to God. And he's got, you know, four beautiful young children and you're a beautiful family and, yeah, we're still close to this day. Well, I'm I'm no expert on rugby league, but it seemed to me his football improved when he became a Muslim. Yeah, it did, mate. Never had all that. Never had all that poison within his life. You know what I mean? The alcohol, the drugs, the the, the scandals, the this that. You know, you just become a better man, better human. That's what Islam is. Islam Islam means peace. Hmm. Anthony. I, um, I've always loved this quote from Chris Everett, and she said, uh, and I, I'm giving this quote because it seems to me someone like you relates to this. 
And she said, there were times when deep down, I wanted to win so badly, I could actually will it to happen. I think most of my career was based on desire. Is that the kind of message that you would agree with? That you, if you believe in it so much, you can actually will you can, yourself to win? You can manifest this. You can manifest it, bro. I've manifested a lot of my success, but obviously for the, through the will of through the will of God, alhamdulillah, like I've been blessed. But you gotta think positive. You gotta think in a right. When I come a Muslim, because um, we believe as as Muslims that everything's written, everything is written before you're even born. You know what I mean? So whatever God has given me lately is alhamdulillah. So it's up to, it's, that's God's will. And I accept it as for whatever reason that Allah wants me to put me on that path. Mm. Anthony, I, I presume over time you're going to be talking to business groups as well. You know, once you get into the, the speaking fraternity, a lot of business groups will like you to talk to them. Uh, definitely, definitely. I want, I want to get in the, the business group because I think a lot of um, corporate world really got a, a misformed information about who I am. You know, what I had to deal with, what I had to struggle with, um, you know what I mean? Being an urban sort of black kid, um, you know, things you need to face and overcome and obstacles you need to jump in order to even be looked at. Hmm. And so I, 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 my question to you is, what, what is the message you're going to carry to someone who's you know, working in a, in a, a corporation, he, you know, he, he might love what he's doing, but he's not really getting the results that he wants. And you're someone who's learnt to get the results that you wanted. What, what's going to be the, the key message you're going to pass on to him? Or well, you, well, you have to you have to follow your um, you got to follow your dream. You have to have a dream first. Yeah. You have to have a dream, and you you know, if you're passionate about your dream and you you really you want it, you gotta you gotta work your ass off and whatever it takes in order to get it. If you become obsessed with it, that you wanted in what in order what you want to what, what you want to obtain and get, you'll get it. Mm. It's just how hard you're willing to go for it. Mm. when you made the transition from rugby league to boxing, were you surprised how hard boxing was? Yeah, I knew it was gonna be hard. Even now even now that I'm retired now, um I, I, I I can't believe I put my, you know, I went through that for the last decade. You know what I mean? Mm. I mean, sorry, last decade, last couple of um, couple, nearly, nearly three decades I've been in sport, but last couple of decades I've been in the ring, boxing and the hard work and the, the rigorous training is just crazy. Mm. One last people question. Don't, people don't see that behind the scenes, you know? Yeah. One, one last question. Um, Yours, to me, you've always seemed business-like. You know, all your fights were on pay TV. You, you always were able to say something to grab media attention before a big fight. And, of course, there are other boxers who have done that in the past. But were you influenced by anyone or anything you read to be business-savvy? Because you certainly were business-savvy. Well, uh, I, well, I don't I think your dad, your dad wasn't, wasn't certainly like that. No, nah, he wasn't. I'll no. tell you what, where that all started from. I was I was a young kid, um, young, talented, one of the best prospect juniors coming through the ranks. I was 20 years old, and a reporter asked me a question. Um, it was Danny Wilder that asked me hmm. when he was working for the Herald, the City Morning Herald. 
he told me, do I do that? Do I think I'm better than Daly? Laurie Daly, who was the Australian, Australian five eight time. I said, yeah, I'm better. I said, I said, he's run, he's running old, he's running on old legs. I'm the, I'm the new kid on the block, and I was I was only 20 years old, and mm. Paul Laurie's only 26. <laughs> so <laughs> he wasn't really that old at all. But that was just my mentality. Uh, I wanted to get myself out there because I I didn't feel I was getting a just use. Um, you know, my, my I knew I would have got it eventually, but it would took time. I wanted to get, I wanted to become the villain. Where where is the where is the hero? There's got to be villains, mm. and I, I wanted to become that villain. And like, like we spoke about before, um, manifest my success. Mm. Yeah, I when when you were a young man, I used to work with Doug Mulray on Triple M, and Doug yeah. always Doug always used to say, "Better to be knocked than ignored." <laughs> well, that's true. We we in the entertainment business, you know what I mean. Yeah. We understand, but you have to create interest. You have to, you know, I'm not, I didn't mean a lot of things I said, you know what I mean? But mm. it's, it's like, it's like the WWE. Why do you think the WWF or the wrestling so big, so yeah. massive? Because they talk that, that much garbage, it's not funny. You know what I mean? But yeah. it's, I, have to play, I have to play that character. Mm. And, you know, alhamdulillah, I've made over 30 million. So alhamdulillah, you know, you'll just bless me, man. Okay. Anthony Mundine, thanks for joining us, mate. I wish you a lot of luck and I hope you can pass on the uh, the, the, the sort of things that you've learned over time to other people. That's great Thank stuff. You. Thank you, my man. I want to do that. Continue that um, legacy and Mundine, uh, mindset, MundineMindset.com. Go to that. Hit me up. I'll come out to your corporate world, your schools, wherever you want to go and we'll, uh, we'll get this thing popping. We'll, great stuff. We'll, we'll make changes in life. Will change lives, no, no problem. And that was Anthony Mundine, of course, the great boxing champion of yesteryear. Now, join Paul Ricard, Hamish Douglas, myself, and a range of other financial experts as we share with you key strategies to help you grow your portfolio at our 2021 Virtual Investor Strategy event taking place on the 27th and 28th of April. We're currently offering free registration to this, this event, as well as a bonus seven-day free trial to the Switzer Report for anyone that registers. So get in quick and secure your spot at switzer.com.au slash events. That's switzer.com.au slash events and I can't wait to see you there. Well joining me now is Chris Patterson who's a managing partner at SMG. The art of leadership is the the USP, is that the, the fair, fair line Chris? That's right um, and we'll expand that to include the art and the science. Yeah, so I was going to ask you, is it more art than science do you think? Yeah, coaching is an art. Um, but we want to make sure that we add the science. I mean, my background is business psychology. So, you know, I'm all about the qualitative and quantitative measures. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it behaviors an art, but how do we then add the science? How do we add the rigor? How do we measure the impact of, of change and impact? Um, I'm going to ask you about the legendary leaders that have influenced the way you see leadership and, and the way that you might, you know, coach the CEOs and other people who you, you um, who come to you for assistance. But um, where did you get your interest in leadership? Well, I mean, as I said, I, when you're a business psychologist, um, 
you're equally fascinated by humans and human behavior and human mindsets, but also by business and the systems in business and business models and how these intersect. And you realize really quickly uh, that the success or failure of any enterprise um, is largely determined by the quality of leadership. Mm. Um, so it is the variable that is going to unlock value or, or destroy value. So um, it's it's a very you know easy decision for me to make to dedicate my career to, to helping leaders to be at their best. Mm. Now let, let me potentially embarrass you, but I, I don't think you're you're embarrassable. Um, but you know, your old man was a leader of a, a fairly significant organisation. Um, it was. It, correct me if I'm wrong. Was it? it wasn't George Patz? It was another big advertising agency in New York, wasn't it? Yeah. Look, he he ran Ogilvy and Mather That's New right, York. Even as, bigger than George Patz. Yeah. Yeah. Look, as a young man in yeah. in New York, going from Australia to run that business, and then ran Media Decisions and and Zenith Media, uh, which was a you know combined very large scale media organization. So. You know, you learn a lot from your father um, and, you know, I've learned a lot from observing him and the way he goes about things. Yeah. And, and the interesting thing is as a son, you know all the flaws in a father. Like I know my my boys might, you know, laugh when they, oh, I'm called a business guru and all that sort of stuff because they, they know all aspects of your strengths and weaknesses. Um, as a consequence of that, uh, Chris, did you often – you know, look at your old man and say, well, you know, he, he was able to do it with his very unusual way of doing things. And, and did, did, you, did you, did as a consequence, realise that there are different ways of being a really good leader? Yeah, and I think what you could have the opportunity to do when you've got a mentor, mm -hmm. um, whether the mentor's your father or mentors in, in, in business broadly, you have the opportunity to take the best of what they do yeah. and replicate that. doesn't mean you take everything. Um, as a son, it actually took me through my 20s to realise that I actually wanted to be a different type of leader. Mm. Um, in my early 20s, I was replicating his way of doing things and it wasn't always successful. Mm. So by the time I got into my 30s, I, I was more comfortable and confident uh, creating, creating my own space. But that's the opportunity with, with a mentor. You, know, you, you take the best of what they've done, you learn from their mistakes, but ultimately you create your own path. How do you go up about when someone says, look, uh, Chris, I really need some assistance here. I've got a really good business opportunity. Um, I'm not sure whether I've got the right team at this point in time. I'm not sure whether I've even got the right approach to making my vision um, you know, come to fruition. How, how do you actually start the, the – the understanding of the, the person you're going to advise and also understand the vision that he or she wants to you know, bring to fruition? Yeah, so we, we run a, a 4D model, the first of which is diagnostics. And, you know, again, when, you, when you've done this for a while, you get a good pattern recognition of the inputs that you need to ultimately understand um, as many elements of the conversation as possible. So an individual's aspirations, um, what's working, what the barriers are, um, how that intersects with people, strategy, operations, technology. And so it is a sequence of really open uh, diagnostic questions and in some cases then some diagnostic tools, whether it's um, some models or some um, personality profiles, 
But we want to make sure that we really hold the space and, and get a thorough diagnostic to then be able to go to the next stage, which is designing the right intervention for that individual or for that top team. Um, are you saying that over time you've recognised a, a magic formula that works with – I wrote down here while I, was, while I was listening to you two sorts of leaders who I know who are very different but are very successful. And I don't think you get a bigger contrast. You've got John Singleton on one side and David Murray on the other. You know, mm. you know, you know, John, is to me, is a gut-feeling kind of guy. He has, has said to me in the past that the way he does his business is that people come with him idea, with ideas and he likes the ideas and he then runs it past Mark Carnegie, who's a real outside-the-square thinker, you know, will it work? And Carnegie says, yes, it will. And then he makes Russell Tate actually do it. That's, that's, that's Singleton's model. With David Murray, of course, David would process everything, process everything, and is really deliberate, mathematical, um, an unbelievable thinker, and he wouldn't have to rely on anybody. How do you, you know, given the fact you, you, you'd have a successful model of leadership, how do you deal with those different characters? Yeah, so the first character, you know, um, again, a good diagnostic will start with, um, you know, what's working. Strength-based coaching is all around identifying where the value is created, locking it in, baking it in, and, you know, removing the barriers for, for those things to happen. And so with John, you know, it's really getting a little bit granular about, you know, what are those patterns of things that, that absolutely work for his style? Um, and let's just get out of his way. However, there are going to be things around the edges that are suboptimal and it's having, you know, the honest conversation and getting some feedback from the system, feedback from his peers, feedback from his direct reports, feedback from his customers, feedback from his stakeholders, and you are going to land on some elements that can be improved to be optimised. Mm. Um, but it's our job to be able to collect the data, make the case, and those, take those strong personalities and help them to just nudge in the right direction. So keep doing what you're doing. It's a successful formula. But if you want to optimise it or if you want to um, identify some either roadblocks or blind spots in a lot of cases mm. to be even better, then here are some small things we can work on. Uh, so if I'm listening to you and I'm thinking probably what you do in some shape or form is like a, a SWOT analysis on them as a leader. And I know um, Neil Perry many years ago said to me, you know, Neil Perry from Rockpool said that his mentor actually made him do a SWOT analysis on him as a leader. And, he, and by doing that, he realized that he was not spending enough time in his strength zone and uh, was spending too much time where he was weak, weak. And he actually said to him, we won't, we're going to put you in your strength zone, we should get other people to sort out your weaknesses. So he gave away part of his business to Trish, Trish Richards, who was a CEO. Yeah. Yeah, it's what's it's what's a you know a common model. If we simplify it, it's really where are my strongest and where am I creating value and what's holding me back, yeah. and then applying systems thinking, because an individual and an organization is a system. So what are the independencies and what are the intercorrelations? And so it's helping an individual to kind of look at that, but simplify the complexity and then say, okay, over the next time period, what are the few things that I need to really focus on to achieve my objective strategically, operationally, as a leader. And so it's kind of leaning into the complexity, but our job is to simplify that so they're really clear and deliberate on their actions. Yeah. So end result, do you do you actually basically come in with a, a blueprint for 
what you think needs to be done or do you progressively change people over time and, and not reveal what the, the the big game plan is with them? Yeah, look, they've, they've got to own it. You know, you can't force someone to develop. You can't force someone to shift. You can give them the tools and the resources and the environment for them to be able to stretch beyond their comfort zone. Um, but also we want to be able to measure that. So as part of that design phase, we're going to help an executive to get really clear and clinical about the impact that they want to have. And we measure impact by impact on self, role, team, organisation, and recently community. So if we get an upfront measure of what will constitute demonstrable impact as part of this time period, a part of this engagement, then we're tracking that throughout the engagement and then we're, we're helping the executive to write an impact report at the end so they can, you know, report on it with evidence and, 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 and tangibles. Yeah. What are you doing? Uh, you, you threw the word community in. Does that effectively include the other aspects of the leader's life like his family and what that can do to his productivity because if he's got a really crappy home life and he's got to come to work every day and that's partly on his mind, it's going to undermine his productivity. Yeah, in two ways. One is when we start with self, we always look at wellness and we've got some proprietary wellness tools um, centered around the six cylinders of wellness. So, you know, what am I doing with my energy levels? What am I doing with my family, my social connections? Uh, what am I doing to make sure that I'm absolutely at my best? Because when we get that right, everything else we help the leader to achieve is going to be like swimming downstream, right? And for a lot of people, part of that is their community connection. Um, so from a self lens, but also the organisation. So what impact is the organisation having on the community? And this is getting executives really thinking um, about, you know, not only the community impact, but then how they tell that story internally because staff are increasingly wanting to feel like the organisation they work for is has a purpose bigger than themselves, has a, has a positive impact on, on the world. Um, what range of businesses do you work with? I, obviously, I can see your relevance to CEOs of public companies where the, the number of you know, variables and curveballs thrown at these uh, men and women are such they would need help. Um, but how, how small do you go down to yeah, it's a really good question, Peter. So SMG's held the dominant position at the ASX C-suite level for, for 20 years. So that's definitely an area where we've got the pattern recognition to be able to really operate at that level very quickly. Um, but then going down to the SMEs, um, these are it's a different experience, but you can get your hands around the whole organisation, whether it's 500 people, 800 people, um, work with the board, work with the whole executive team uh, and really sh see the needle shift in that organisation quite quickly. Um, right down to organisations of, you know, 50, 60 people. Um, they, the leaders need support regardless of the size of the organisation. Top teams need support regardless of the size of the organisation. So we scale up and down. Uh, the leaders that really have captured your imagination has influenced the way you ultimately mentor and coach people? Well, I, I started as a work experience psychologist at Morgan and Banks in the mid-90s. Mm. And you couldn't ask for a, a better uh, inspiration than, than Andrew. Andrew yeah. Banks was, was it still is a force. I, I caught up with him um, a couple of months ago to have a chat about what he's doing now. But, you know, a Andrew really taught me 
a lot about professional services um, and how no matter how smart you think you are, ultimately, we've all got to sell. Um, no matter how, you know, advanced the solutions are, uh, there's no one out there in the market building relationships and networking, um, your business isn't going to survive. So, you know, he instilled that in me very early. Um, and I would say that that's been one of, if not the um, biggest success factors in my career. Okay. Is there a international political or even a local p- political leader that it really has stood out from the crowd because in recent years in Australia, we've seen a lot of prime ministers have found leadership really hard. Good ministers have not translated into great prime ministers. Uh, is, is there anyone overseas that has fascinated you and sometimes you use them to help CEOs go to the next level? Yeah, I'm going to sidestep the political lens of that, uh, <laughs> def, def, definitely. Um, but look, internationally, um, for us, Simon Sinek is 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 a, is a core inspiration, yeah. and the work that he's done to help us and to help executives not only start with why, start with purpose, um, but the really the role of the leader, and more recently, getting us all to think not about the short term goal, the quarterly target, getting us to think about the infinite pursuit. And, and that infinite mindset to improve ourselves and to improve business. He's been incredibly influential in executive coaching. Yeah, most definitely. I've interviewed Simon a couple of times. He is actually a, an outside-the-square thinker. One final thing, you are appearing on this program with uh, Anthony Mundine. Uh, have you had any links to the, the boxing fraternity in your role as a mentor and coach of leaders? Well, uh, apart from being a fan, um, of of Anthony and 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 the sport, um, I'm on the board of the Danny Green Stop the Cards Punch mm. uh, campaign. Um, Danny came out famously after one of the fatalities of the the, the, the um, kid in uh, King's Cross, mm. and he went on social media um, angry uh, that this keeps happening. And his message really struck a chord. And he thought, you know what, I've actually got a role to play here in helping our community to completely eliminate uh, this from, from, from our society. And so, you know, we've been working to reduce the incidence of these, these coward punches. Um, and we've made a real impact to removing the lexicon of coward hit, which was kind of, you know, um, a positive word and, and really framing them as, as, as a coward's punch. And the incidence of these um, have been steadily decreasing uh, over, over the years. So in working with Danny and, and working with his energy, not only as a boxer, but as just an, an, an elite performer, mm. um, yeah, it's just really inter- interesting to see the way that he goes about things and, and how it actually is a lot of parallels between him and some of the highest functioning executives that we see, that, that energy, that drive, that precision. Mm. Chris Patterson, thanks for joining us in the program. Good to see you, Peter. And that's the show for this week. Thanks for joining us. If you have some legends you'd love me to try and investigate, uh, feel free, contact us. You can go to info at switzer.com.au and we look forward to some of your suggestions. Thanks very much. Talk to you next week. Britain time! Britain time!